we have started to get our screeners, our award season screeners. Yeah. You excited or are you dreading it? Um, you know, a, little, <laughs> a mix of both, actually. You know, The Wife was one that just came to me. I yeah. think it opened last week or something like that anyway. Well, it was about a month ago. It was about a month ago, The Wife? It was about a month ago, yeah. Uh, I, I, and I didn't see it, so, I, I so now it. I'm kind of glad that I have it, unless you're telling me I shouldn't be that glad that I have it. I'll let you see it. All right. I'll let you see it. I'll let you see it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the the thing is, all the stuff that I really want to see, I know we're not going to get until the week before. Or the yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I'm gonna have to go out in the theater. I'm gonna have to see Bohemian Rhapsody, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I'm gonna be I'm missing that all the screenings of that unless they schedule more, which they probably will. But yeah, yeah, yeah. There it goes. Yeah, we, we sound we're so awful. <laughs> we're just so awful with our awful well, lives of because, watching movies because because we have to see so much. In such a short period of time, we mm-hmm. have to see it before anybody except for the national board and, and the New York critics. You mm-hmm. know, Academy members have until freaking you know next year. They get a whole extra two months, and they don't have to see anything that they don't really want to see. We kind of have to see everything because we're the tip of the spear. Yeah, and every now and then we have to go poke people to yeah. make them show us their stupid movie, and I hate that. I'm like, seriously. See, and and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go on record with this. I'm really gonna. I'm gonna pressure Sam Goldwyn to to get out in front of a boy, a girl, a dream, and and do some awards promotion for that because that movie deserves yeah. to be to be out there. If you it, a Mario it, Hardwick, uh, Megan Good, lovely it, little rose. This is a this is a this movie was in fact shot in one take. Yeah. I confirm that. Oh really? There are no seams there. It was one take. They rehearsed those two actors and all the other actors in all the places that they drove to with the, the steady cam operator, getting in the car with them, driving over there to that party where some AD was on the on the, the walkie-talkie saying, okay, they've arrived, and three, two, and he goes into the back room, and in they come through the door, and everybody hits their marks. I mean, that is really, really impressive filmmaking. I'll, I'll, we, we, of course, we know the Hitchcock film. Yeah. Uh, I will point people to a film called Running Time, 1997 yep, film, directed yep. by Josh Becker, black and white. Same thing. Now, of course, 1997 film, so, you know, harder already, yep. already harder. Yep. Uh, those camera loads, 11 minutes, uh, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So what he had to do, of course, was devise these moments. And by the way, th- like this film, that, that film goes from, like, downtown to Venice, uh, from when they pick it up. It's a Bruce Campbell movie, by the way. Yep. Uh, runtime. And it's really, really neat. Nevertheless, uh, yeah, hey, interesting. Here's the question, though. Is there a point to it? The single take? I mean, is there anything about that single take In... that makes the movie better? Yes. Okay. And I'll tell you what it is. And this is the thing. In A Boy, A Girl, A Dream, because it is a two-actor piece, it's basically, I mean, you have other actors in it, you know, at the yeah. beginning and later on the party and all this, but because it is fundamentally about a guy and a girl who meet who have a moment, and then who bear their souls to each other over the course of this evening, you are preserving the the kind of thing that you get in live theater, Mm. which is that these characters develop over the course of a performance. It's a single, continuous, uninterrupted performance. They are totally in character. And you need it because even though it is a talky, talky, talky movie, two people talking to each other, the heart and soul of the movie is a nonverbal moment mm. near the end. Yeah, yeah. And what he's doing is he's winding these actors up emotionally so that when they get to that moment, when they're exhausted from this, you know, the camera's there and the crew and following them and being in, uh, hard in these characters for a full 90 minutes, they get to that emotional moment 
it's earned. They've mm. worked their way to it. It's so pure and it's so beautiful. And you look in their eyes. You look in Omari Hardwick's eyes. I just started bawling. Oh, I've seen the moment. I started bawling, and it's man. it's so beautiful. I was just when so that bawling. camera, she's there and she's sitting and she's and looking. Turns, she's, it's, I mean, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not a giveaway or anything. She's no. looking at a little movie it's, but on it's, a uh, thing. On a phone. And, and, and she has earplugs in. Yeah. And it's and he made the little movie, but it's not about. But it's the movie. not about it's that about movie. It's and, 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 and it's it's See, uh, all kinds of emotional things so are going on. Nobody says anything. That's why I think it's important that it's one take because it it puts the actors into a frame of mind where they work for that moment yeah. and because they've worked so hard for that moment. The audience can't resist that moment. Yeah. I think it's I think it's a superb film, and yeah. I'm gonna. I'm I gonna hope push. it's doing well. I don't know. I, I don't know. It was in one theater in Baldwin Hills. You know, it was in one theater in Baldwin Hills, which bothers me. Bothers me a lot. Bothers me. Very good movie. Because it's a good movie. And because that that Baldwin Hills thing says to me, they looked at this and they thought, oh, it's an all black cast. Well, let's let's release it in the hood because white people. And no, No. didn't didn't Moonlight teach you anything? I I cannot believe that that movie was not playing in every. I I just assumed it was in all the little limleys. I mean, yes, it's an art house. It's an art house film. That's for for sure. sure. I get it might not be it. You know. Yeah, no. no. Uh, But it's an art house. Oh, man, I don't know. That bugs me a lot right now. I'm sorry. Let's. let's, um... All right. uh, We got a big batch of criterions. I'm going to hit these hard right now. This is a really, really great month for criterion. Stuff that you're familiar with, stuff you may not be so familiar with, stuff like. Uh, eight hours don't make a day. Uh, you know, Fassbender is arguably the most prolific lunatic ever to work in in any dramatic format, and he just he made it's it's just incredible how and not even like Berlin Alexanderplatz. Forget about that. Eight hours don't make a day was a public television drama in Germany. And he just kicked this thing out. He just wrote it and made it, and, and it's it's incredible. It's, you just wonder, where is this wellspring of talent come from? Um, this is almost 10 hours of material. Yeah. Which is... Aired in about 1972, I yep, think. Yep, 1972. And uh, it's just, you know, it's looking at West Germany at a very difficult time, kind of, uh, you know, a, a generation. It's that generation after World mm-hmm. War II from which he came, the new German cinema movement, which also gave us Wim Wenders and, uh, you know, all the others. And uh, it, it's it's kind of a, like a partner to Berlin Alexanderplatz. It's looking at the here and now. Berlin Alexanderplatz looks at the history. They work very well together. It's a, it's really very, very compelling and some wonderful cast uh, participation. And Hannes Scheigele, who, of course, did... Uh, Many things with, with Fassbinder as well. Uh, it's great. It's just really, really good stuff. A little bit Serkian, as a lot of his stuff was. Mm-hmm. Uh, really, really fine. And uh, Criterion nabbed a good one with that one. I, I had no idea that was uh, going to be as good as it was. Uh, Sidney Poitier, Raisin in the Sun, gets the oh. Criterion treatment on Blu-ray. Uh, this movie is just beautiful. 1961, and uh, based on the Lorraine Hansberry play, which was... Uh, allegedly the first play by a black woman ever performed on Broadway. Yeah. So it was a big deal as a play, even bigger deal as a movie. A really very memorable movie directed by Daniel Petrie, and uh, it just gets an absolutely beautiful Criterion Collection uh, release with um, an episode of Theater Talk from 2002 with Philip Rose interviewing Ruby Dee and Ossie Davis, an excerpt from Black Theater Making of a Movement in 1978, and uh, a whole lot of other really cool things. There's an introduction by Woody King Jr. There's an interview with uh, Mia Mask, who's the co-editor of Poitiers Revisited. I mean, everything you need to sort of put the uh, put this film in its uh, its historical and artistic Ruby context D, is there. Ruby Dee, Diana Sands. Diana Sands, 
uh, extraordinary actress. Died very young, as yeah. did Lorraine Hansberry. Uh, uh, Lou Gossett Jun- Jr. I mean, there's so much, so yeah. much, yeah. It's such a great, beautiful, rich film. Uh, from 1965, just a few years later, The Naked Prey, which was, uh, you know, which was Cornell Wilde going... It's just a fantastic movie, man. It's a great movie. You know, Cornell Wilde, I don't think anybody... He produced that film, too. He produced it, directed yeah. it. He, he, he went hard at it. I don't think anybody knew he had that in him, you know? He was, a, he, was such a, he was such a great actor. And, you know, in the 60s, you weren't accustomed. And, we're, you know, we talked about this on Film Week last week. Uh, with respect to A Star is Born, is that actors didn't sort of become filmmakers mm. with any kind of regularity until really the 1970s is when that started happening, and mm-hmm. really pretty hardcore 80s and 90s, Clint. obviously. Clint was one of the first, you know... Uh, Oddly, but yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it was... it was uh, Olivier was the exception, right? Yeah. He was the one that... But he had did. been a, a stage uh, exactly. director. Exactly. So, he, you know... And then you obviously have Charles Lawton, yeah. you know, who took a shot at it. But it wasn't like a routine no, thing. That's why when Orson Welles did it, you know, he was like, wow, you know. They were that, exceptions. That's a thing. Yeah. They were exceptions. That's so true. That, 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 that movie, if, you have, if you've never seen that. Corn- the Naked Prey is really, really great. And it's intense. Intense. It, uh, you know, 1965, but definitely part of that. Uh, peck and pie and turn that was going to happen with, uh, you know, uh, oh, yeah, like the, uh, wild uh, the wild bunch and straw dogs. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of going, it's moving in that direction, right? That, mm-hmm. that, that really tough, rugged direction. It's not Tarzan, by the way. Uh, no, out there. This isn't. This is no Tarzan. Takes, movie. Takes place early nineteenth century, uh, in, basically dealing with uh, you know an African safari, and uh, Wild plays this guy who is essentially turned into a human human prey. Yeah, uh, he's released for sport for these hunters, and it's uh, well, it's well, just, it's, uh, someone is killed. Yeah, and, uh, and 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 a lot of it has to do with friends, and, the, and they go after him. And yeah, he, and he's and he's on the run. Yeah, and he sought to he's he sought to pick them off one by run one. It's, and it's, he's driven down to the loincloth. Do you think there is a line that connects this to Deliverance? Oh wow, hadn't thought I about it, but I do now. Yeah, yeah, you know, See, it's, think, it's it's just it's it's so good. And there's this respect thing at the end of that movie. Not yeah. going to give it away. That it's just you never saw that in the Tarzan true. movies. You it's know, very it's true. Like, it's like it's like it's like much it's respect. True. You know, yeah. It's anyway. so well shot too. Yeah. That color, that color widescreen photography oh, is just pristine, which was just coming on the scene at the time too. You yeah, because they they're making use of it in that movie. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, because oh, that, yeah. that that desert. Yeah, sorry. Uh, and then 1975, a movie of a very different stripe, Shampoo. No, oh, so wonderful. Um, you know, uh, Hal Ashby, great documentary about Hal Ashby that uh, was recently released theatrically, and uh, Shampoo is a big part of that. I'm sorry that nobody from this movie was interviewed yeah. for that doc. A hole in the doc. It's, it's a, a hole, hole in the doc. It's a wonderful doc, but that's a hole in it. It is. Uh, but you know what? Great movie, and it's just, it's. I, I'm so happy that this is out on a, on a Blu-ray edition from Criterion. Warren Beatty. Uh, Julie Christie, Goldie Hawn movie in many respects, kind of based on John producer John Peters' life yeah, as a hairdresser. Yeah, as a hairdresser before he became yeah. Uh, great script by Robert Town. It's uh, it's really really cool. It's a great movie. Lots of uh, lots of fun nuances in it. The uh, you know film referential nuances. Not a ton uh, by way of special features. Uh, they did a 4K digital restoration on this, and uh, it's got a, uh, a 5.1 DTS soundtrack that's. Really, really, really very good. Um, there's a conversation with Mark Harris and Frank Rich about this, and then there's an excerpt of Warren Beatty on the South Bank Show in 1998, and an essay by Mark Rich. But you, that's, you know uh, what's that's most about interesting about, about that movie? Huh. Julie Christie and Goldie Hawn are in that movie, yet the prettiest person in the movie is it's Warren, Warren Beatty. Beatty. 
that is so wacky. <laughs> That's crazy, man. With that hair. With the hair. I'm like, God dang, he's prettier than Ju Golion. And uh, then we get an absolutely gorgeous edition of Andrei Tarkovsky's Andrei Rublev. Mm. Andrei Rublev uh, from 1966. Um, this is a restoration of his three-hour cut, uh, which is his preferred cut. Now, it also includes the original 205-minute version, um, which uh, is not the one that Tarkovsky preferred, oddly enough. One of the rare cases where the director's cut is, I like the shorter version. Mm. Uh, I, like the, I like the version that's 20 minutes shorter. Um, but nonetheless, you can watch them both. You can also watch the steamroller and the violin, his thesis film from 1961, which is on here. And uh, it, this is absolutely just a, a wonderful set. Our good friend uh, and colleague Justin Chang yes. is also featured on this. Uh, does a lovely job, and uh, it's uh, this is this is just really really terrific. Um, I, I I just can't say enough about it. It's one of the great films of all time. It's what established Tarkovsky as an international um, auteur to be reckoned with. It's just an incredible medieval. Uh, mythical journey, beautiful, beautiful black and white photography. It's just stunning. Um, I, I, I just think this is one of the great films of all time. And uh, a, based on actual medieval events that took place in Russia that uh, were not terribly well known internationally until this movie, it has all that mysticism and the, and the mythology and, and the poetry that you associate with Tarkovsky. And uh, really one of the great all-time filmmakers. Such a loss. He died prematurely from cancer. Yeah. And, uh, this is uh, this will make you very very sad that we didn't get more out of him, but he left a legacy. So there it is, Andre Rublev on Blu-ray, special edition from Criterion. Solaris. All right, let's uh, let's jo- we'll get back to other movies later, but let's talk about some new movies. Um, and uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. I, I dug this. Better than the previous one, right? Yeah, because girls in it. Yeah, Uh, I'm sorry. It's always better. It's just always better. It is when when you know. I mean, you know my things. Yeah, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, a fun, fun film. 4K HD Blu-ray, packed with all kinds of stuff. It's just no point in going into it. If you dig the series, you know. Frankly, of the of the series of the superhero series, the Marvel series. I'm not into the DCC, but of the Marvel, the the Ant-Man stuff. It's been my fave, dude. You know why? Here's why. Because it gets exhausting to watch the world saved from some gigantic, humanity-threatening, intergalactic villain every single time. It's exhausting. Mm-hmm. How much can you? How often can you do that? It's why the, the Bond films sometimes get exhausting. But we get a Marvel movie with that theme every year, not yeah. every three, four, five years. Yeah. Ant Man, he's just doing his thing. It's yeah. just it's a it's very small scale. Yeah. And he's you, not pretentious. He's not rich. He's uh, funny. He's into his daughter. He's kind of into this chick that don't you, like him. You can do more because the stakes are more, they're more human, human. They're more malleable. You know, I could see, I could see me, I could, I, I do not see me as Captain America at all. <laughs> Black Panther, no. I would, that whole thing, you black, tell me you must be the Black Panther. Uh-uh. No. Not being a, no. Pick that guy over there. Anybody, anybody. I could see putting on that Ant-Man suit. Sure. And like, yeah, I can do this, you know, yeah. as long as I can, you know, get hurt and, and, and chicken out and stuff yeah. like that. That's yeah. what he does. I love all that. Anyway, a lot That's of fun. Gag reel, alternate scenes, behind the scenes, featurettes, blah, 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 go on and on and on. And then we got Reprisal with Frank Grillo and Bruce Willis. This is one of those grindstone deals. Grindstone makes uh, basically two kinds of films. We've talked about this before. They make two kinds of films, and they all put them out through Lionsgate and Lionsgate premiere. They make either really tough action movies, guys running around with guns, usually has you know De Niro or, or, or Antonio Banderas or Bruce Willis somewhere in the background. And uh, then they also make movies about funny animals, dogs and yeah. cats and weird stuff. So those are their two gears. 
This is one of the former. Uh, Bruce Willis has done a ton of these, especially with uh, this particular director, uh, Brian A. Miller. This is written by Bryce Hammonds. Look, Bruce Willis is hardly in this. This mm. is a Frank Grillo movie, and Frank Grillo is uh, is a, a disgraced cop who's a security guy at a bank, and the bank is heisted, and he now, to save his reputation, maybe get back on the force, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's got to figure out who's behind the bank heist, yada, yada, so forth and so on. And Bruce Willis uh, took a payday on this one. He's the neighbor who comes over two or three times and uh, gives him some advice and then gets to have like a little tiny moment of glory later. It's practically an overgrown cameo. But um, look, Frank Grillo doesn't get a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, starring roles. Uh, Jonas, Jonathan Skeck, who used to kind of be a real actor, plays the bad guy. Yeah. And uh, there's a whole backdrop to him as well. I mean, these, these guys all do decent work, but it's, a, it's kind of a, it's a, it, this is straight to video stuff. It's a, they phone it in. It's Blu-ray and digital uh, combo set. We'll see where it goes. It's funny, this movie that I have in my hand here, Arizona, Danny McBride film with Rose, Mary DeWitt, and Luke Wilson. It's kind of a, it's, it, this should have been a straight to DVD, although it shouldn't because I just, yeah. told, I just told you the cast. That's, yeah. you know, that's, a, that's a really, yet the movie plays as a straight to DVD sort of movie, directed by a guy named Jonathan Watson. Jonathan Watson, um, a decent director, kind of, kind of, kind of, sort of Danny McBride, that whole crowd. You know, those, all the, what are they, North Carolina boys? Yeah, something All those like North that. Carolina boys. Yeah. Uh, he's part of that whole crew. You know, and they do their things, and they, and they bring their boys up, and uh, you know, and give them shots and all that kind of stuff, which is super duper great, and it's fine. This is not horrible. It's a dark comedy uh, that has Danny McBride ultimately killing a guy for played for forty seconds by Seth Rogen at the top of the film. Uh, Rosemary DeWitt uh, witnesses this. It's, it's played for laughs. Yeah, uh, he kind of goes bananas, kidnaps her, ends up kidnapping his ex-wife, and he's just going nuttier and nuttier as he as, as the, the body count goes up. It's in that very, very, very bad things sort of yeah. uh, mode of, of movies. And, and I don't know, man. Some people find this stuff funny, you know, when the body count goes up and it gets darker and darker yeah. and, and Danny is just saying crazier and crazier things. And, and uh, I, I just never cared for them. I don't yeah. care for them in any context. And, I, and, and I therefore, I can't really judge whether they're good or not because to me, they're always bad. Uh, anyway, this has a special feature, The Making of Arizona. Uh, maybe you'll like it. Maybe you won't. I can't tell you. So I'm going to do some TV. We have an absolutely shameless Lifetime movie called Harry and Meg in a Royal Romance. Uh, this is so mercenary. Uh, you know, hey, look, there's a royal wedding coming up. Quick, write a script. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, people. This just happened. Let it <laughs> breathe for a moment, could you? Let us, let us sort of have a moment where this is a memory, yeah. and then you market it as, oh, I remember when that happened. Yeah. Not like, oh, I saw that on Sunday when they had the actual wedding. And the look, flowers Friday, aren't even dead yet. Come on, seriously. Um, it, this thing was really phoned in. I mean, it's uh, it's not it it's nothing to scream about. If you uh, want to, you want to. Hey, you can you can watch that whole wedding on YouTube. The actual <laughs> yes, wedding, you can. You can watch the whole damn thing on YouTube. And I gotta tell you, it's worth it. It was fantastic. And I agree. I, I I look. There's no way that this romance transpired the way it is in this thing. No. Somebody had a generic romantic script. Might have been an interracial script. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But then somebody read that and said, "Hey, if we swap Harry and Meghan in on the for all the all the names, I'll bet we could." Yeah, that's yeah. how this happened. Uh, anyway, it's it's silly. Why 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 do this? I don't get it. Oh, the the Michael B. Jordan version with Michael Shannon, of course, version of Fahrenheit four fifty one. Um, I just did not care for this. Didn't see it. I'm still. I like the original too yeah. much. Yeah, and the, uh, the and, Truffaut. 
in in this yeah the Truffaut and this yeah. uh, and this was you know this was this you know what I didn't like the most about it was very on the nose I mean it's it's uh it's the dialogue I mean everyone in this movie says exactly what they are thinking and Don't what is that. happening in the scene and uh and didn't need that didn't need that at all in any case uh five it was nominated for five Emmys uh, outstanding television movie but it's not gonna win. So we also have uh, Vikings Season 5, Volume 1. I'm amazed this show has gotten this far. Uh, I, seriously. I mean, it's, Our buddy Sherman loves that show. It, it has steadily improved, I will say that. It has gotten better over, over those five seasons as they kind of got away from a lot of the, the, the I don't want to say uh, less historically accurate, but as they kind of tried to move to something that was a little bit more anchored in in history and actual historical figures instead of just you know Vikings just marauding and rampaging yeah. and, and 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 warring, uh, which only gets you so far. So the the interesting thing about this series is my direct ancestor has become a character on this show. Oh, get out! No. See, I, well, I mean, a lot of people. <laughs> R- Rollo, Rollo, the first uh, Duke of Normandy, is the great was a great great grandfather of William the Conqueror. Oh. so pretty much anybody who is descended from the British royal line anywhere mm-hmm. can go back to Rollo. Rollo's a character on the show. Mm-hmm. So, first Duke of Normandy, right? He, he, you know, was a Viking who came up the sand and told Charles the Simple, "I'm going to conquer you if you don't make nice with me." And he said, "How about Normandy? You mm-hmm. want to own that whole piece and just mm-hmm. swear loyalty to me?" And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm descended from William the Conqueror's uncle, who was an archbishop who was excommunicated and then Ooh, vanished. That, and then that makes sense. Had a lot of kids, and there, <laughs> there, there are billions of us floating around now, I'm sure. In any case, so that I have a certain connection to the show, kind of, sort of, maybe. But anyway, um, it's better in the fifth season now. Things are, things are, you know, it's, they're, they're playing up the plot more than the blood and the guts, and, and that's good. And they're drawing a lot on a lot of these medieval sagas, Um in this place, it's interesting because they brought more, brought more women into it. You know, uh, the, the Queen of Kattegat and uh, a, a lot of these things that are that are really recorded in actual uh, Icelandic sagas. They're really kind of trying to tie a lot of that in. Uh, there are extended versions of ten episodes here and commentary and uh, some featurettes and deleted scenes. So uh, Vikings, you know what? Starting to really kind of own it. Uh, Really, and and the the unrated aspect of this is very unrated. So you're you're getting your money's worth on this Blu-ray. Mm, I've got the uh, third season, season three of Billions uh, here. Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't like season one, didn't like season one, don't like season three, don't like this show. I know people who love this. I show, know, I know. They dig that world. I keep trying to say to them, these two, th- no one's going to win this battle ever. No. This sh- there's never going to be a moment where Paul Giamatti says, ha ha, gotcha. Yeah. Or where Damian Lewis says, ha ha, got- that's never going to happen. Yeah. That's never going to happen on this show. I do, I do not like this show because there are, in, there are literally no uh, uh, protagonists on this show. These are no. all just horrible. Everybody's horrible. <laughs> everybody on this show is horrible. He's horrible. Yeah. And, and by osmosis, everybody, even even the, the – this is all terrible. And the other reason why I don't like this show is because, you know, I, I came of age in the 80s. Remember the 80s? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, when, when Trump and Borsky and yeah. uh, Wall Street and, and all of that stuff, the Lincoln Savings and all that. Yeah. I lived 
that billionaires period when everything was about making that first way back yeah. then it was a million kind of stuff like that it, it just doesn't strike me as particularly interesting so I'm, good, I'm, I'm good, out good cast but good it, cast. Just, it doesn't it doesn't ever it's resolve the content that I do not care for I uh, got a couple from Acorn here. Uh, the first one is uh, Series 3 of East-West 101, which uh, has, continues to be a really great, hard-boiled uh, Australian drama. It, you know, uh, Don Haney is just terrific in the lead part of uh, Zayn Malik, who, uh, it, you know, it really kind of underlines a lot of the ethnic issues that are going on with, uh, with uh, the immigrant communities in Australia and how that is sort of, how that affects the policing in Australia. It's a very unique show. Um, Really, really well done and uh, very timely, very much kind of attached to the, the, the moment in terms of, you know, Muslim and, and Western uh, societies and how they integrate in, uh, immigration and refugees. Uh, the other one is, is a quite good adaptation of Anna Karenina for Acorn TV on, Blue, on a DVD, not Blu-ray. Uh, this was originally aired in uh, 2000. So this is, I, I, I didn't even know this had existed, but uh, they keep doing stuff for British television without telling any of the rest of us. Uh, anyway, this is, uh, this is one of the better adaptations of Anna Karenina because it is quite faithful. Um, and that's tough, to be faithful without being sort of long-winded and, uh, you know, bet- you, know you, you want to be faithful to the novel, but you, gotta see, you still have to take some license. Mm. So they split the difference. It's long. It's about four hours long. Uh, done in four episodes. They really cover all the territory that the other film adaptations of Anna Karenina sort of skip over. So mm. you get much more uh, historical nuance. But it's good. And uh, Stephen Delane is, is, is wonderful. And, um, you know, Mark Strong is in this. Amanda Root. I mean, some people who've become very, um, uh, very you know, fixtures in your movies today are all wonderful. And this Helen McCrory in the lead is just absolutely superb. So uh, one of the better versions of the Tolstoy novel, Anna Karenina from Acorn TV, originally aired in 2000 on British television uh, from RLJ and Acorn. Uh, Blu-ray, uh, the complete collection, Ass versus the Evil Dead. 1979 is when Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and all those, Robert Tapper and all those guys, uh, made uh, the original Evil Dead film. Uh, I think the film didn't come out until about 1981 because they had to figure out a way to actually edit it. Uh, and then, you know, it sort of made everybody's career for that, and he went on to do all the other stuff, or the, uh, the other Evil Dead's, Army of Darkness, and, and a whole lot of great stuff. And then comes uh, Ash versus uh, the Evil Dead. And, you know, this series got started, and I was watching it, and they were playing into this joke of how much older Bruce was, yeah. with the belly, and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And to be honest with you, I didn't care for it. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm like, hey, man, that's, that's, that's my dude. That's Ash, dude. Why are you making fun of Ash, dude? What I like about uh, the, this, this series is that you go forward into it, mm. he kind of pulls it together. You can see him losing a few pounds, and he gets mm-hmm. that old sash back, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, now we're talking about the evil dead. He gets that attitude back, and maybe they planned it that way, or maybe he just quit eating donuts. I don't know. But it makes, it makes the series get better. As we, as we move into it, as he gets his mojo back and starts kicking ass. All kinds of special features on this. Seasons one, two, and three. Three seasons. Uh, it's funny. It's a lot of fun. It's a throwback. It's for my generation. you got to have it. You know what else you got to have? Mm. 4K the, of uh, the original Evil yeah. Dead, which we're making an exception here. We're covering TV, but we're, we're going to push this in there. Yeah. Uh, the 4K of the original Evil Dead is also out this week. And um, you know what's funny? I don't think anybody saw this at the time and quite knew what to make of it. Sam Raimi didn't really announce his intentions until Evil Dead 2. Mm-hmm. That's when people realized they could revisit the Evil Dead and laugh at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's what this I think. Is, this is, I, we, this is, yeah. It's funny, guys. And uh, it, you know what? It's, it's out in 4K. 
this movie was shot really low budget. Did it need to be on 4K? Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, what do you now? Now what do you now what do you see? What's <laughs> cost? <laughs> It was 16 millimeter, for 30, God's sake. 35 years. Last week we talked about Fraggle Rock. Yeah. Evil Dead and Fraggle Rock are both 35 years old. Ah, How man, weird yeah. is that? Yeah. Anyway, yes, the origins of Ash Williams and uh, and uh, Bruce Campbell uh, totally cutting it up. In the original Evil Dead, great movie. Uh, out on 4K. And an audio commentary with Sam Raimi and uh, Bruce Campbell and Robert Tappert, uh, the producer, which is a whole lot of fun. So yeah. you got to add this. This is a 4K that's a must for the collection. Mm, yeah. Uh, the Resident, complete season one, three discs, uh, which includes all 14 episodes. Um, uh, I, the, you know, I started watching this, uh, kind of interesting young doctors yeah. and, and doing that kind of thing, but you know, you know it's kind of ordinary too. I'm a, you know, I'm a St. Elsewhere guy. Right. Uh, and from St. Elsewhere, you, I pop up all the way up to a couple of, couple of seasons of ER. Yep. That's about it for me yep. when it comes to doctor shows. I yep. mean, you got to go way back to like Chad Everett Medical sure. Center, but I was a kid then. Uh, but you know, this, people seem to like this, so it's okay. And the originals, the fifth and final season and... Thank goodness this is finally <laughs> over. Damn uh, vampires. You know, it, I'm so over the vampire thing, and uh, it's it's really well, it's long past due that we start getting all the vampire shows off TV. Vampires, and, the, and take the werewolves with you. All of them. And all the zombies, you. too. All of you need to go away. So, yeah, the fifth and final season of the originals is history, and it's really not that different from the previous four seasons. They milked every every piece of this that they possibly could and uh yeah it's stylish and sexy and young and vampire-y and all that stuff but uh we're done we're done uh this has the comic-con panel from uh 2017 for those who care about that a gag reel some unaired scenes and then you're done that is it that is it american horror story cult um uh first american horror story i think it was like 2009 or something like that uh, I would not have thought that they would be able to reconceive and reconceive and reconceive, but they did. This is the complete seventh season, American Horror Story Cult. Three-disc set contains all 11 season seven episodes. Look, people love this stuff who love this stuff. It's not my kind of thing, but if you love it, grab it. All right, we're going to get into some uh, some old movies now, some classic old movies. And uh, let me hit the... Um I'm going to hit the Twilight Time stuff first. Got an interesting quartet of Twilight Time titles this week, uh, this month, uh, starting with In My Country with Samuel L. Jackson and Juliette Binoche. This is a, a little-known John Borman movie that I'm really glad they went and, uh, and dug up. You know, John Borman has had such a long and rich and storied career, and uh, some of the films are totally overlooked, and some of them are really unfairly maligned, Zardoz, Exorcist II, and some mm. of them are just incredibly well thought of, Deliverance and Hope and Glory. I mean, it's, you know, it's just, it's all, he's sort of all over the map. Yeah. But I'm glad he is. In My Country was made in 2004, and uh, it deals, it's a very, very sweet, underrated movie that deals with the relationship between an Afrikaner poet, played by Juliette Binoche, and an American journalist, played by Samuel L. Jackson, who are both in South Africa to cover the Truth and Reconciliation hearings uh, right after the end of apartheid. And um, it's, it's a really interesting film. It's not flashy. It's not hyper-dramatic. But um, it's the only film that I'm aware of to date that has actually dramatized anything to do with the Truth and Reconciliation hearings, mm. which are a really important part of history. Yeah. And um, it, uh, it, it, it delves rather boldly into why that was important and what it meant to South Africans at the time 
and why it was so unique and completely unprecedented in the history of, uh, of humanity. It's, uh, it's really extraordinary. Um, there's an audio commentary with Borman, thank goodness, because he's getting up there. Isolated music track, as with all Twilight Time titles. Deleted scenes with optional commentary. And uh, interviews with a lot of key people, including uh, Juliette Binoche and Mike Medavoy. So In My Country, good, solid John Borman movie from uh, the early 2000s. We also have The Bravados, which uh, was a, a kind of a quintessential 20th Century Fox Western of the 1950s with Gregory Peck and Joan Collins and uh, Stephen Boyd. I mean, this really is very much right in that, uh, in that mode, directed by Henry King, you know, just like a lot of their other stuff. And uh, Henry King and Gregory Peck had previously done The Gunfighter in the early 50s. Yeah, yeah. And then, and this is kind of, it's not a sequel to it, but it, it trades on a lot of the same themes. Um, you know, he plays a rancher whose young wife has been killed. Usually it's the other <laughs> way around. It's the rancher who's been killed and the wife is the one who has to seek revenge. Uh, anyway, we've seen this story a million times, uh, but it's fine. Great supporting performances by everybody involved. Lee Van Cleef's also in it as well. The Bravados. And then we also have, from Twilight Time, a sensational performance uh, by uh, Spencer Tracy in The Last Hurrah, great John Ford film from uh, 1958. And, uh, you know, Spencer Tracy can just, it's like he can do absolutely no wrong whatsoever. This is based on the uh, Edwin O'Connor novel, which is uh, very much kind of, it's kind of timely again, you know. It's, uh, it's about a, 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 city, a mayor of a New England city, um, and uh, who's running for, for re-election for the fifth time and uh, has been accused of some truly horrible things. And uh, when you look at where we are politically today, mm. it's interesting to watch this to realize not much is all that new. Um, this really kind of hits a, a lot of very, very important points that continue to be sort of uh, very relevant and, and prescient. Uh, James Gleason, Ricardo Cortez, Pat O'Brien... Uh, Basil Rathbone, a lot of great supporting performances who look like political figures now. Uh, it's a good, powerful film. Great, very unusual John Ford film for the era, too. And then lastly, a movie that was so maligned at the time, and and damn if it isn't a camp classic now. 1977's The Other Side of Midnight. Yeah. I will never forget that artwork. Those the, that, the, the, you know, that artwork, I remember on TV. I remember my mother even like trying to cover my, trying to cover my eyes when the commercials <laughs> would come on. Just like, ooh, that looks really dirty. Uh, and it kind of is for 1977. This was based on a Sidney Sheldon novel. Yeah. Um, that was uh, with it stars Marie France Pizier, the French actress at the time, who had this affair uh, with an American pilot during World War II, and she gets pregnant. And you know, then flash forward, uh, there, there's all this melodrama and whatnot. Susan Sarandon was in this. Uh, it's very early, uh, early. Um, Early performance for Susan Sarandon. Uh, Michel Legrand wrote the music. It's all very sappy and soapy and scandalous and kind of innocent at the same time. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, uh, it's Sidney Sheldon. Look, Sidney yeah. Sheldon didn't write porn. No. He created I Dream of Jeannie. Yeah. So uh, it was sort of scandalous <laughs> at the time, but in retrospect, it's sort of chaste and, and, and uh, campy and amusing. Oh, The Bride, um, uh, on Blu-ray, The Bride, 1985, Sting, uh, in, in this film, and, Jennifer, young and Jennifer Beals. An arty Frankenstein movie. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah. And not very good. She was terrible in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, coming off a of Flashdance. Coming dance. off a of Flashdance, yeah. and then we realized, oh, this chick can't act. She just looks sexy when that uh, sweater is hanging off the shoulder. Yeah. And then, oh, years later, hey, you know what, she built, um, she built herself a career. And uh, Sting never did quite become the movie star, a heartthrob, I thought, 
that people True. thought that he might be. Uh, you, know, you know, he wanted to do all kinds of stuff. Anyway, Clancy Brown is in this movie. I always love that. Commentary by the director, Frank Rodham. Yeah, I remember Rodham. Tales from the Hood 2. What's most interesting about Tales from the Hood 2 is that Rusty Condiff and Darren Scott, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, who did the original sure. Tales from the Hood, are, 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 are this film too, uh, Keith David in the movie. Yeah. Um, Tales from the Hood, 1995, um, uh, that movie. Uh, and here, the second movie, yeah. 2018. That's yeah. nuts. I, I, that's a long time, but hey, you know, yeah. do it again if you got to. Here's an interesting thing. If you look up the original Tales from the Hood poster, it's going to have uh, uh, some taglines on it. Uh, I wrote those taglines. Did you really? I did. I Sweet. wrote the Tales taglines nice. for the Tales from the Hood posters. Might be, it might be on the, the DVD box. I don't oh, know. Very, very, very cool. You know, he's become such a big star in recent years. Uh, people forget that Leonardo DiCaprio has done some bad movies. Yeah. And uh, the man in the iron mask would be one of them. Yes, it would. I, he look, was young. He was. This is now out in a 20th anniversary edition from Shout Select. I love the people at Shout Factory. They pick good stuff. Uh, I get it. This is, you know, it's kind of hard to turn this down. It's Leonardo DiCaprio. It's the man in the iron mask. Jeremy Irons, John Malkovich, Depardieu, Gabriel Byrne. Uh, it comes from the, you know, the Musketeers, the mm -hmm. Three Musketeers saga. It's, uh, you know, it has all of those. Peter Suskitsky, you know, shot it. Anthony Pratt, production design. Alexander Dumas, novel. Randall Wallace, the writer of uh, Braveheart, wrote and directed it. I get it. The credentials, the pedigree is very impressive. It's just not a good movie. Yeah. It's a terrible movie. Yeah. It's, just, it, it, it's back when Leo was still really just working with, with yeah. Woodby and Purdy. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and that's why he was there, and that's what he was doing. And, and, um, and you know. It's so upsetting because it's a, it's a story that deserves better treatment. It's really a great novel. The Dumas novel is a great novel. Like, I prefer Man in the Iron Mask to The Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers, yeah. I really do. I think The Man in the Iron Mask is, like the, is the pinnacle of Dumas. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, if you do like the film, you get a 4K scan uh, of the original camera negative, down converted to uh, to Blu-ray here, and uh, there's a new interview with the producer Paul Hitchcock. Um, there's a new interview with uh, Anthony Pratt, the amazing production designer. Uh, Randall Wallace does an audio commentary, and then there's some featurettes. And uh, so, you know, I hate this film with a with a, an, an abiding passion. I had to review it for box office at the time, and I shredded it. But look. Uh, you know, I guess there's enough. There's enough here in this pedigree that somebody would, uh, somebody would care. Yeah. Um, also from Flickr Alley. Gosh, they're going doing some really, really good work these days. Uh, Flickr Alley is just uh, they're 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 chewing it up. They've got some great stuff here. Uh, first off, from the Blackhawk Films collection is Berlin. These are all uh, manufacture on demand. Let me point out these are Blu-rays, but they're MOD Blu-rays. So you got to go to their site, FlickrAlley.com. And, uh, and order this stuff, and you're going to want to. Flickerally.com. Uh, the first is from the uh, Blackhawk Films Collection, and it is Berlin Symphony of a Great City by Walter Ruttmann. Uh, this is an extraordinary movie from 1927. It's only an hour long, but it is, it's, it's, a, it's a snapshot of a place and a time and a moment um, one day in the in the the history of Berlin, at a moment before, uh, when it was right the waning days of the Weimar Republic, before Hitler, before Nazism, before it became a divided city, this is this is a a rare moment in what Berlin once was. And if you've seen, for example, uh, Cabaret, you mm. you 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 know a little bit from Cabaret mm -hmm. about what 
what Berlin was in this particular moment, even though Cabaret takes place later. It is, it is still, you know, very much, it, it, it captures a lot of those, those aspects of it. Um, anyway, this is a highly influential film. They did a beautiful job here with a 2K scan of the original 16mm elements. And uh, there's a fantastic score here by uh, Timothy Brock, performed by the Olympia Chamber Orchestra, that is just perfect. It's a perfect marriage of, uh, of material and music. It's just absolutely great. Carl Freund uh, co-wrote the screenplay. The original idea was from Carl Mayer. It's just a, it's a great kind of experimental, kaleidoscopic documentary snapshot of this very historic city before bombs literally leveled it. And uh, it's, uh, for all kinds of reasons, this is historic. Berlin Symphony of a Great City. Uh, and then we have two volumes from Flickr Rally of Rudolf Valentino films. This is the Rudolf Valentino Collection, Volume 1 and Volume 2. On uh, Volume 1, we have Eyes of Youth from 1919 and Moran of the Lady Letty from 1922. And then Volume 2 has A Society Sensation, Virtuous Sinners, Stolen Moments, and The Young Raja, all between 1918 and 1922. Uh, Rudolph Valentino, of course, one of the legendary early movie stars, a face that you just you could not dream of. And uh, this is a wonderful look at what made him such an extraordinary screen talent, why he was so legendary. And uh, if you are a fan of, uh, of this stuff, uh, as I am, anything from the silent era, you will absolutely want to add this to your collection. Um, sad little anecdote, Rudolph Valentino, his home no longer exists in Los Angeles. You would have expected that that would have been a, uh, a landmark here, a, a dedicated landmark of some kind, uh, protected, uh, miles. No, it's not. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was torn up so they could put the Hollywood freeway through. Yeah. So, it, uh, the, the, the ruins and the location of Rudolph Valentino's house is somewhere buried underneath the, uh, the Hollywood freeway. On to you, sir. Shall we, yes. shall we knock out a couple of these over yeah, here? The Spiral Staircase. Um, what the heck? Uh, everybody knows this extremely wonderful film. Uh, Dorothy McGuire, Ethel Barrymore. Uh, it's just a wonderful film. Uh, this is a Blu-ray. It looks fantastic. The black and white is so crisp uh, that it's almost like uh, watching silhouettes uh, occasionally. And of course, the way the film is constructed with the spiral staircase, with yeah. those, you know, the, the light would shine and those spires of the staircase uh, would hit the wall in that very particular way. And uh, it's just extremely effective. Newly remastered HD 4K scan restored. I mean, really, this is just a fine, fine grain. It's just so smooth. It's absolutely astounding. Audio commentary by film historian. Imogene Sarah Smith, um, you know, um, there was a 1945 uh, Screen Director's Playhouse radio broadcast of this film, and they put that on here, too, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> with Dorothy McGuire and uh, director Robert Sidney. Uh, got three interesting films here. Oh, I'll, I'll let you go. Do the 3D thing. Oh, the, the, 3D. The, the, the Sangria, uh, originally released in 3D. Yeah, uh, which is really kind of interesting yeah. for a film that's not really a horror film or anything like no. that. This is really just a big old drama. I mean, just a melodrama at that. But it was nevertheless in 3D. Um, so this is Fernando Lamas, uh, uh, Arlene Dahl, Patricia Medina. He's playing the uh, uh, indentured servant guy who was working for this during the Revolutionary War. He was working for this doctor. When the doctor dies, the doctor leaves in his will all of his land and, the, and, and, and stuff to this guy who had been his indentured servant. Needless to say, his um, daughter does not care for this. In fact, the problem is really with the daughter's fiancé. 
and the daughter's fiance's father <laughs> who want all of this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, and, and we watch this sort of uh, love twist around and everything like that as Fernando Lamas fights to make sure that the will doesn't get broken and that he's able to take care, uh, to carry out his master's uh, desires. So anyway, it's a neat, uh, in, incredibly melodramatic film set just after the uh, Revolutionary War. It came out about 1955, I think. Um, you know, uh, it, it's okay. Fernando Lamas, you know, it is better, much better to look good than to feel good. Uh, uh, kind of guy with a, a strong chin and all that kind of stuff. This is a newly remastered HD 4K. Again, looks fantastic. The color is absolutely insane uh, uh, on this film. A lot of special features, including the 1955 Lux Radio adaptation with Arlene Dahl and Cesar Romero, as opposed to Fernando Lamas, who was actually in the film. Uh, so we have um, Big Wednesday on Blu-ray from the Warner Archive Collection. Big Wednesday, of course, the original surfing movie, kind of epic surfing movie. Uh, this was directed by John Milius. Very Milius film, very macho, because yeah. Milius was one of those guys in the in the '60s who was you know heavy into surfing. I kind of overlapped with a little bit with the with these people. I knew these. I, I know some of these guys today. Yeah. They're like aging surfers, and they kind of still think they're 18, 19, 20, even though they're like sixty eight and sixty nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. That's fine. Um, <laughs> they just, they're just they're just they're just living that surf life, man. But this gave us you know three actors who went on to do quite a bit: uh, Jan Michael Vincent, William Cat, and Gary Busey. Mm -hmm. uh, a young Gary Busey. Look, look how like not freaked out he looks. Yeah, because you just saw him the other. I uh, just saw in, Yeah. I just just saw him roaming around the chili cook-off on on uh, on uh, Labor Day. Man, that was you wanted to run the other direction. He had a look in his eye that looked yeah. like like uh, you know something yeah. scary. Anyway, just the one eye, just the one eye. But anyway, it is uh, you know surfing is the metaphor here. It's it's all metaphorical about life and coming of age and so forth. And William Cat would of course go on to be the greatest American hero, and Jan Michael Vincent would go on to do. Uh, Airwolf. Airwolf. And I made, right. made a couple of good films. Uh, the Lightfoot. And, uh, sure. Yeah. 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 So, uh, but anyway, they, they, they actually learned to surf for this movie, and it's, uh, it's all real. It's good. It's good stuff. There's an audio commentary with Melius, which is very, very good, and a respect, retrospective documentary called Capturing the Swell. Um, so, I mean, the movie dates a little bit. It's very much of a moment, but I still, I still kind of like it. Uh, we also have a Boris Karloff collection, four movies, Dance of Death, Torture Zone, Cult of the Dead, and Alien Terror. None of them are very good, but uh, they, they, it's, you know, it's, it's a reason to just kind of get four crappy movies on there from, uh, you know, the, the lower end of Boris Karloff's career. And you can throw it on for Halloween or whatever. It's not a big deal. And then Thelma Todd and Zezu Pitts. Uh, the Hal Roach Collection, 1931 to 33. We have mentioned before that Thelma Todd, of course, created a uh, a restaurant that is that I yeah. drive by every single yeah. day. And then she died a, a very controversial death. And you know, was she murdered by her mobster boyfriend and all this stuff? They made a movie of it with Lonnie Anderson some years ago, uh, in the 1980s. Anyway, this is a bunch of shorts from 1931, 32, and 33 that starred uh, Thelma Todd and Zezu Pitts. And uh, if you don't know who either of them were, it's worth checking out. It's a lot of fun here. Uh, it's like Alum and Eve is very, very funny. Uh, Red Noses is very funny. And uh, maybe my favorites of the whole thing, favorite of the whole thing is Maids a la Mode from uh, 1933. Some really cool shorts, all mastered from the original negatives. And commentaries on some of these as well. So uh, it's, uh, that's a fun set. Thelma Todd and Zezu Pitts. Ah, yes. Uh, a couple of music documentaries here. Imagine, 
uh, and Give Me Some Truth, both documentaries uh, surrounding John and Yoko Ono. Uh, of course, John and Yoko. Imagine uh, the way it's, it's sort of created. Uh, it's filmed during the summer of 1971, uh, a little bit in London, a little bit in New York, at the Dakota. You know, um, about 10 years before we would lose John uh, there. So it's really interesting to sort of roam around inside that apartment. The way Imagine is constructed. It's lots of interviews with lots of celebrities and famous people that they knew who would come by where, where, wherever they were and whatever they were doing, and they would sit around and talk and play music and sing songs. Uh, and uh, and it was re it was really so like uh, leftover stuff from the '60s is what's going on in Imagine, you know, um, uh, in in that kind of talk there. And it's you know it's it's a perfectly lovely film, and we get to see George Harrison and Fred Astaire and Andy Warhol and Dick Cavett and Jack Palance and uh, Jonas Mikas, and, uh, and and it's structured that way. Give give some truth. Um, um, is w is, a, is a Grammy Award-winning film, and it's more it's more centered around music and the music-making process, particularly for the for the album Imagine, for the Imagine album from conception uh, uh, all the way through the process of building the songs, uh, writing the music, uh, uh, through final recording. That's what's going on in that film. Give some truth, and it's really beautiful. Obviously, both of these films feature a great deal of music. Uh, from John Lennon, Yoko Ono, and, so, and many of the other Beatles playing this and singing that and uh, this, that, and the other thing round and about. Bonus features uh, include studio outtakes and all kinds of other stuff. Look, if you're a Beatles completist, you're going to want this. If you're a Lennon fan, you're going to want this. Uh, on Blu-ray, looks fantastic and, and pretty special. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So, you know, believe it or not, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is not all that old. It's only a thirty. I know, it's right? only like thirty plus years old. I yeah. mean, it was created within the, the you know our time as uh, adults listening to rock and roll music. So uh, this is a compilation uh, of, of of some of the most important and interesting inductions into the rock and roll Hall of Fame, featuring acts from the '60s, '70s, and '80s. Highlights come from the 2010, 11, 12, and 13 induction ceremonies. You will see. Uh, Alice Cooper, Under My Wheels, Rob Zombie, uh, Hart, uh, uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, uh, Stevie Wonder, John Mellencamp, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically, uh, I think uh, I think Don Henley and yeah, Don Henley and Randy Newman, and Neil Young and, and Tom Waits are, are various different hosts at different times here, so you get to uh, hear a lot from them. All kinds of stuff. Tom Petty lost Tom Petty not too long ago if I'm not mistaken, yep. and a lot of contemporary artists too, John Lezen, uh, John Mayer, et cetera, et cetera. Hey, you're a rock and roll person, you're going to want to grab this. And uh, one more on music before we get into foreign language stuff. Um, is uh, Idil Bire's 75th anniversary concert with the Borisan Istanbul Philharmonic Orchestra conducted by Toshiyuki Shimada. And uh, Idil Bire, of course, is the, is the great Turkish pianist. She is extraordinary. Uh, here she plays uh, pieces by Hindemith, Rachmaninoff, and Schumann, uh, and she rock. does it beautifully. Uh, there's also a little bonus of her at uh, Yale University. Um, you know, it's it's uh, I, I I've I've said this many times. There is something different about the way that uh, women and men perform uh, any instrument, frankly, mm, yeah. a and a concert piano as well. Women just do it differently. There's yeah. something and that it doesn't comes have anything through. to do with aggression or even or, or strength it's or power. Just, it's uh, it's interpretation. Yeah. It's yeah. just purely interpretation, and it's lovely. She is absolutely extraordinary, and uh, this is unfortunately only on DVD. I wish it were on Blu-ray uh, because it's uh, 
It, it really, it's just superb. Uh, and this was uh, recorded, uh, the Yale University thing is from 2012, and the 75th anniversary concert is from 2016. So um, I really recommend this, even though it's only on DVD and, and not Blu-ray. Idil Biret's 75th anniversary concert. All right, let's uh, foreign. You want to pop over some of this stuff? Yeah, let me let me hit this one real quick. I got a couple of Spanish language uh, ones here, which I want to make mention of. Summer 1993 by Carlos Simon is a Spanish film that uh, is a basically a coming of age movie. Uh, it takes place in 1993, obviously, as you judge from the title, about a six year old girl um, who is coming of age in the uh, in the the countryside of Barcelona. There is an unfortunate family situation. Uh, a, a, a really, really horrific family tragedy that has placed her there. I, I, I won't give that away. That's something you need to watch the film. It comes fairly early on in the film, and you understand what's going on. Um, but what's so lovely about this is that this isn't even a plot-driven movie. You just feel like a fly on the wall through all of these otherwise seemingly small and inconsequential events that have very, a very large and outsized impact on this young girl's life. It's a really finely observed art film. Uh, really very beautifully done. Carla Simone has a huge future ahead of her. She's she's very sensitive and detail oriented, and uh, I, I I really really look for just the way it's shot. It's just so. It's one of those movies where you just can't imagine a camera crew being anywhere near what's happening. So that's beautiful. It's on Blu-ray and on DVD. Summer 1993 from Oscilloscope. And uh, the other one is La Madre, El Hijo y la Abuela. Did I do that? Okay. That's fantastic, man. I don't know. I I would never know what that meant if they didn't have the translation right here on the cover. This is Mother, Son, and Grandmother. Um, This is from uh, IndyPix. It's a Chilean film. And Chile, probably uh, next to Brazil and Argentina, is the South American industry to watch. Uh, They have – they're they're making a lot of really, really interesting movies these days. And uh, this is about this, uh, this young guy who, go, who takes his camera back to his hometown uh, after it's been completely wiped out by a volcano. And uh, he's, he's there to document things. But um, they're, 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 he basically meets two friends, and they, there winds up being a um, – oh, how would I put this? Uh, he – what he what he went looking to capture with his camera is not what he finally does capture with his camera, if that makes sense. And um, very very interesting uh, story twist to this one, and it apparently has some connection to real events. So uh, anyway, uh, Benjamin Brunet is the filmmaker. The movie is Mother, Son, and Grandmother. It's a Chilean drama, and it's very good and very interesting. Mm. Will I knock off a couple of these? Yep. Uh, wreck. Oh, uh, gosh. The Spanish, the four-film Spanish collection. Uh, I remember covering these as Spanish films, and then they spun off of them to American films, yeah. to American versions yeah. of the same thing. Uh, it was kind of interesting. Uh, young, were, young TV reporter. Found, found footage. Found footage genre. Kind of thing, you know? yeah. And, they, and they, they're originally just assigned to go follow a, a yeah. fire department. fire department gets called out to this building, go into the building. There's something going on in the building. The building gets quarantined. Uh, the fire department guys and the little the little news reporter crew are trapped in the building with the mm. tenants of the building and whatever the hell else is going on in the building. Uh, and, uh, you know, pretty intense. Okay, little movie. Wreck 2 picks up just moments after the end of Wreck. And that's what I like. it. That's what they did yeah. in the original Halloween series. You remember Halloween, Halloween sure 2? Sure do. And it p- literally picks up just a few moments later. Uh, by the time you get to Wreck 3, you're, 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 you know, you're sort of losing the – 
the grip a little bit. By the time you get to Rex 4, Genesis, you're just explaining. Uh, you know, so it's like those Purge films. You, you work your way around and you try to get four of them out of it. And if you make it, you did good. They did. They're all in this box set. Uh, one, two, three, and four special features include making of, behind the scenes, outtakes, deleted scenes, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. Look, if you like this, this kind of stuff, particularly uh, um, of the Spanish films, you'll enjoy these. They're a lot of fun if you're into the horror business. I, I don't particularly care for any of those movies, but I know. I look. The fact that that even exists at all is kind it's, of. It's like the. It's like, I think last week we talked about. Was it last week we talked about the Bloomhouse thing? You just make one of these oh, yeah. things, and you make another one of these things, you make another one of these things. The next thing you know, you got yourself a factory. There you go. Uh, I'm going to hit some uh, French language stuff here from Distrib Films, a Lucas Belvaux film. I like Lucas Belvaux very, very much. Uh, that stars Emily Duquesne. Andre Dussolier and Guillaume Gouy. Uh, Emily Duquesne, of course, did Rosetta for the uh, for the the, uh, the uh, Belgian brothers, and uh, Andre Dussolier has been around forever. The film is called "This Is Our Land," and um, it's uh, you know it's really timely. Uh, if you if you follow French politics to to any significant degree, uh, this really ties into everything that has been happening lately, everywhere in the world. And uh, it's 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 quite uh, it's it's quite pungent. Uh, I'm surprised this didn't get a significant um, theatrical release. Anyway, this is from Distrib Films via Icarus Films Home Video, and um, Lucas Belvaux previously made a film that we gave our top award to at yeah. the uh, Colcoa Film Festival, which was called Wrapped, which was a, uh, a kidnapping thriller. And uh, this is not quite as good as Wrapped, but it's still very 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 good. Um, it's a it's about a working class single mother who um, decides that she's going to uh, get into politics. But politics is not all that it's cracked up to be. She wants, just wants to be a mayor, but it winds up being, you know, it get, you get into all of the, the politics of race and immigration, and all that stuff is, is, uh, is brought to the surface with like a, like a festering boil in this thing. And it speaks to populism, you know, which is a thing in the United States and in Europe and, and, in, and in India and in the Philippines, and it's... it's it, you know, a lot of people are displaced in a lot of these societies, and very few films are kind of um, wrestling with that and why this this phenomenon exists. This is our land. It does a great job of it, and Belvaux is a is a fine filmmaker. Uh, we also have Bruno Dumont's movie Jeanette, The Childhood of Joan of Arc. I won't get into all of my Bruno Dumont stories. Uh, Bruno is is an iconoclast, and uh, I've had to again to Colcoa. I moderated a, a couple of panels that he was on. Uh, once he was a gentleman, the other time it was not easy. Uh, Bruno makes movies that are uh, kind of pompous and self-absorbed and overly arty, and he's not afraid to just go completely over the cliff and do things that really turn people off. Um, so, you know, th is this an ordinary Je Joan of Arc movie? Not by any stretch of the imagination. It is a Bruno Dumont movie. Um, but it, it is an interesting one in that it does have a connection to a certain history, looking at Joan of Arc, uh, you know, beginning at the age of eight, and uh, how this, presumably all these childhood experiences made her who she was and eventually became. The movie's too long, but um, it is better than most Bruno Dumont movies, but it is nonetheless a Bruno Dumont movie, and it was at Cannes and did not was not terribly well received. The last one here is uh, Sandrine Kiberlin and Laurent Lafitte, both of whom I absolutely adore. And that's appropriate because the actual title of this is El Ador, otherwise uh, translated in uh, English as Number One Fan, which sounds a little bit creepier. Uh, Jeanne Herry directed this. This is also from Icarus and Distrib Films. 
And um, it's about a, uh, a beautician, played by Sandrine Kiberlin, uh, who is uh, obsessed with this one pop singer. And uh, suddenly her dreams come true, and there he is in her life. And uh, how do you deal with this? And uh, is this even normal? And, you know, what happens when suddenly an ordinary life is, is pushed into the extraordinary? Um, it, it, it does not do what you expect it to do. French films never actually do. Uh, <laughs> this, 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 is not a, uh, this is not a fairy tale. This actually goes into some pretty dark corners that you don't see coming, but it's smart. Uh, this was made about four years ago. Uh, again, if this had been 20 years ago, this would have gotten a theatrical release here. It really is a smart film. It starts in one place, and it goes into a completely different direction. And, uh, you know, as far as... Uh, should I call it a thriller? Yeah, I guess it's a thriller. It's, it's definitely a thriller, but it's just you don't see it coming. Mm. So get ready. Fascinating. Um, Ozzy Argento, in, two, in the year 2000, uh, directed her debut film, yeah. uh, Scarlet Diva, quasi-semi-autobiographical uh, yep. film about a young actress, uh, up and coming, uh, and yet uh, uh, still uh, full of anxiety and uh, angst uh, uh, about her life, um, hating being degraded uh, by the male directors and producers yeah. in yeah. her life, uh, loses it a little bit and goes on a sort of wild spree <laughs> across America and Europe and and uh, then tries to turn it all around and, and pull herself back to a spot where she'd like to be and find true love. Man, oh man, oh man. <laughs> art imitating life, imitating art, imitating <laughs> life, imitating art. Just, just, yeah. you know. I mean, literally, it just all wrapped back around on her. Um, I, I have no issues with Asia. This, is, this was an interesting film. Not particularly good, not particularly adept, but okay. Um, uh, lots of special features here, there, and, the other, and everywhere. Two audio commentaries by Asia. One from 2002, the other one from 2018. Oh, that's interesting. Well, there we go. There we have it. All right. That should just wrap, uh, wrap things up. We are done for this week. Uh, we should have – we're going now, now to the, – now the holiday season is really oh, upon us. We're going we're gonna to start getting inundated with screeners. So – um, but we, we will not go on hiatus until the end of November. So we've got a few more weeks uh, of podcasts. We'll keep you guys abreast. And uh, in the meantime, email us at godsatdigigods.com or godsatcinegods.com. Visit the Facebook page. And please visit the, uh, the uh, Cinegods Facebook page as well. Digigods, you need to join. Cinegods is open to anybody. And cinegods.com site is going to be getting some upgrades soon, too. We'll get that back on track. Till then, we'll see you guys later.